here we are. This is the old school, and this is Steve without Ross. Uh, Ross is somewhere. Um, he says he's somewhere in Europe, um, traipsing through the Alps or something like that. I don't really believe him, but he, he told me so. So um, let's uh, maybe take a listen and, and see if, if, if his story holds up. We have a series of clips of Ross Miller in Europe. Uh, he's actually traveling with his family and taking time out of that busy travel schedule, if that's exactly where he is, uh, to tell his stories. So there are a few little clips here, and by the end, we'll make the decision ourselves. Is this actually Ross in Europe or, or in his, his bedroom office uh, trying to pretend? Here we go. So here we are, live from Europe. I'm actually nestled in a Tuscan villa outside the town of Lucca. Uh, if you don't know where Lucca is, bust out a map. Uh, it's not about an hour west of Florence. Just came back from Chamonix, which is in the French Alps. And it was a pretty amazing trip. Uh, we had a house, we had a room, not a house, it was kind of an apartment that kind of overlooked, our balcony overlooked Mont Blanc itself, which is the highest peak in Europe for all those who are not familiar with your European geography. Um, and it's just a great time. It's a great scene, cool weather, uh, doors and windows were all, not doors, but windows were always open. And um, the scene there was pretty nice. A lot of tourists. Um, as you might imagine, uh, say everyone seems to be up for traveling now. Mostly French tourists that we saw. We had towards the end of the trip, we saw some, um, I think, some folks from China. Um, but uh, on the whole, it seemed like most people were from uh, France. I don't understand why you would travel to some place and like work out. Saw a bunch of people running just running down the street for no particular reason. They had on weighted vests because their own body weight is so thin and so light. They can't get a good workout in, so they have to wear weighted vests. Um, I wouldn't know what that's like. And um, a lot of babies, a lot of dogs. Both of them were basically the same. They either had a happy, cheerful, sort of dumb disposition or... They had kind of an angry, choleric, uh, kind of uh, testy disposition. Um, I tended to stay away from both of them. I don't trust dogs and don't understand babies. I didn't understand my baby when she was a baby, but at least she was mine. Um, plenty of good food. I don't know if you're familiar with French cuisine. There's like different types of French cuisine, depending upon where you are in the country. Since we were in the mountains, there were certain kinds of food that are perhaps more known of. Uh, first of all, let's start with the sweet stuff. So they had something called the tarte uh, de mitil, which is kind of the blueberry tart. And you haven't had a blueberry tart unless you've had one in the French Alps, because those blueberries were incredible. Now, if you're like me, most of the time when I have blueberries, they don't really taste that much. You know, you don't really get a lot of flavor out of them. That's not the case with these blueberries there. 
um, just an amazing uh, taste. And the second thing we had, well, actually, it was the dinner before the dessert. I started with dessert, as you should. Um, but the beginning of the meal was two things. First of all, they came out with a salad, which you, I guess you have to eat, and then the uh, baked feta cheese, which if you've never had that, let me tell you something, that will change your life. You get some baked feta cheese on top of some French bread, and you will begin to question everything in your life. You will embrace the mantra of Descartes, where to, if at all possible, question everything. You will begin doing that when you eat baked goat cheese. Then for the meal, we have what's called the tartiflette, which is basically a much, much better potato au gratin for all the 70s fans in here who are familiar with the Hungry Man meal that had the potato au gratin as kind of a side dish to the meatloaf. This thing is like 10 times what you're going to find in your Hungry Meal TV dinner. Potatoes, roublechon cheese. I mean, it's just unreal. And so you eat that. We're in, the, we're in this nice little kind of alleyway. Um Picture perfect, straight out of central casting, uh, uh, French uh, bistro. And it was just incredible. Of course, you got to have some wine. I mean, why wouldn't you? And so some wine, some of the some of the goat cheese, then the tarte de flette, then the blueberry tart to wrap it all up. And even eating this very heavy kind of meal, you don't feel like it was that heavy. So... Anyway, just some observations, some of the food we had while we're there. And of course, of course, the best thing about some of the French cafes is the baguette sandwiches in the morning with, well, hell, you can get anything on it. So, but some pretty good stuff. Anyway, first of the observations, surely many to come. So stay tuned and we'll report to you live from Florence fairly soon. Later. Bye. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is your friendly neighborhood uh, former high school teacher uh, sitting in the halls of the Uffizi and within eyeshot of the most offending diminutive appendage in the history of mankind. Wars have been fought. People have been fired. It has been one of those things that has bedazzled and befuddled and bemused and bemoaned people over the centuries is this one tiny little appendage. Now, attached to the appendage is the statue of David, which, among all the other statues in here, is a pretty, uh, it's a pretty good representation. You can see why this statue is so famous. But to be honest with you, there are so many other statues, so many great statues. David's certainly one of them that you could come and enjoy. Uh, if nothing else, you can watch all the people taking pictures without ever really looking at what the pictures are. Uh, you can see them taking pictures of statues without really looking at what the statue is or of whom the statue is. You can see them lining up for minutes upon minutes to get into view of a room that they have no understanding of and are not really interested. They're just collecting pictures. Now, for all of those folks, and there are plenty of them, there are also individuals who are truly trying to understand things around here. But I got to tell you, the cattle call-like nature of the process here uh, 
doesn't really allow for too much deep introspection, yet people still try to do it. Uh, for those who simply cannot handle the hustle and bustle, there are plenty of benches along the sides of the hallways for people to look at their phones and check out the latest feeds on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, who knows what they're doing. There are kids here who are barely able to contain their ambivalence to the art around them, like my daughter, for instance, who really the only thing that's getting her through it is the prospect of having gelato in the next couple of hours. Outside of that, it is pretty much chock-a-block here. Um, and, but sarcasm and silliness aside, this is a pretty amazing place. This is a pretty uh, remarkable place just because of the art that's here, the history that's here, and the idea of being able to see this and to see it up close. It's quite something you need to see something that you've only seen in textbooks, perhaps, or brochures, perhaps or Lonely Planet Guides to Florence. To be able to stand in front of it is a hell of an experience. So, don't wait for the prices to go down on airplane tickets. You might as well go ahead and spit the bit and go ahead and uh, buy the tickets. Come here as soon as you can. Well, that's it for right now. Another latest installment of the fun-filled, action-packed adventures of Ross Miller and his extended family in the beautiful cities of Italy. Later. So we're back here in Tuscany, and I want you to picture the worst traffic you've ever experienced, and then and only then can you appreciate, assuming that you take that worst traffic and multiply it by a factor of 10, can you understand how bad traffic was yesterday in Florence? Now, today is the 2nd of June. It is a national holiday. It is Independence Day. Um, uh, and so it could be that a lot of this had to do with that. However, so our first order of business was to get out of the city. We were parked at the main train station in Florence. We have folks in here listening to this podcast that have been to Florence, then you know what I'm talking about, but you park at the Santa Maria Novella train station. That's like the best parking spots. They got parking spots like in the inner city itself, the Centroville. But the problem is those cars seem best suited for kind of like the midget clown cars at circuses because there's no way that my gigantic Audi A6 uh, sedan is going to fit into any of those places. So we... We parked at the train station. Now, to get from the train station out of the Central Ville was a task in and of itself, in which case I probably broke about seven traffic laws, I think, and in the process of that, nearly got hit by a bus. And, well, you know, things happen sometimes like that. Um, I'm hoping that there's not a lot of cameras in the downtown area. Therefore, I might have escaped the worst of my problems. So, uh, nevertheless, um, we have to get through the downtown area. Then once you get out of the downtown area, then you find yourself trying to get on the interstate. And it was chock-a-block full of cars. And, of course, in Italy, you have several things to look forward and look out for. You have to, as they say in the hockey world, you have to keep your head on a swivel. Um, so you're looking at 
downtown, you're looking for pedestrians, you're looking for cars, you're looking for um, uh, motorbikes, Vespas, scooters, bicycles, um, and it's just a host of range of things that you have to kind of be careful of. As we're kind of leaving the downtown area, you also have to look out for the fact that you have multiple large veins of traffic merging into one another. You have lanes that merge. You have lanes that just out and out disappear. And that was kind of strange because there was a couple times when I was in traffic, but there seemed to be no order of business. And of course, you got people honking, you got people yelling, you got people throwing their hands up in the air because the Italians are known for their hand gestures. Uh, the word in Italian is gesticulare, and there's a lot of that going on um, in Italy. So just kind of powering through all that stuff, my wife, who is a master at navigating streets or what have you, even when Google or Apple or whoever's doing the maps are not as good, she seems to be able to find a way through it. So it's a combination of my wife's amazing navigation skills combined with my amazing driving skills, because I have amazing driving skills. And combination of those two things is what really kind of got us through it. However, if you're not used to driving through uh, a city like Florence, a big city, if you've never been through that kind of atmosphere, I'm not sure driving would be for you in the country of Italy, certainly not in the big cities. Now, out in the country, it's fine. It's like being out in the country anywhere. But um, in the big cities, it's a whole different ballgame altogether. Now, I was here once before. I lived here, stationed here in 1988 in Sicily. And I was young then, and I was fairly new to driving. And one thing that I kind of noticed was that there seemed to be zero respect, regard, or otherwise appreciation for traffic laws. Um, there's the old line from the old Batman show, uh, public transportation, safety is every good citizen's responsibility. Well, here in Italy, that is not how they roll here. The, the joke in Italy is that if they use their blinker, they're about to do something incredibly stupid, crazy, outlandish, what have you. And I had my version of that. I did a U-turn in the middle of an intersection with a gigantic tour bus bearing down on us. And it was the only way I could get from point A to point B. This is where three of the laws that I broke came into place. And um, I figure running a red light, doing a U-turn, there's probably a general annoyance law that I broke in doing that. But um, you have to do some pretty crazy stuff to be able to get around the city. And again, anybody who's been there will be able to tell you, well, I saw this stuff as a young man in Sicily, and I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm driving in this country. People are just, I mean, it's crazy. It's like in Canada, we have that no-fault insurance, and you can just pile into somebody, and it doesn't matter. Here in Italy, it feels like they have a similar setup. And it's strange. Just one country to the north in Switzerland and two countries to the north, Germany, it's a very orderly, respectable, dignified experience driving on the highways and byways of these various places. But in Italy, they just roll a little differently. So anyway, 
amazing experience in Florence yesterday. Went to Uffizi uh, uh, Museum, as I mentioned earlier. Went to the Mercado Centrale, which is a pretty neat kind of experience as in itself. Uh, but the driving, that's going to be something that sticks with me for a while. I'm sure you have similar experiences. So, but anyway, so for right now, that's it. I'm out. I'm off. And I hope to uh, be back with you soon. Later. All right. This might be uh, on the shorter side, although none of my uh, musings to date have been particularly long. Today is the 2nd of June, 2023. And for those who are not aware, today is the Republic of Italy Day. Uh, on this date in 1946, the Italian population was given a choice as to what kind of government they wanted, they preferred. Now, if you are not familiar with the story, after World War II, well, during World War II, and basically going back to the 1920s, Italy was controlled by a man named Benito Mussolini, who was the head of the fascist party. Um, and from there, he basically controls the entire country until his death at the hands of partisans in the uh, 1944, I believe. Um, he's killed. Hitler takes over in Italy to try to re-secure uh, Italy. That ultimately fails, but the Americans have to spend an inordinate amount of time to be able to, um, you know, take Italy and keep Italy. After the war, the question then began to have, you know, the question, you know, the conversation uh, starts to develop as to what kind of government they should have. Now, prior to the war, the Italians had a monarchy if you've ever heard of king emmanuel he was the he was the king of italy at the time he was ousted by mussolini and others uh now they have that choice monarchy or republic and on this date the italians decide on a republic and a couple of years later when they make it official uh they mark this day as the republic day now in rome if i was in rome right now this would be a heck of a uh, observation here because I would have been privy to and witnessed to uh, quite a celebration, including parades and celebrations and fireworks and what have you. It would have been a joy to behold and a sight to see. However, I am in rural Tuscany and today most of the shops and other businesses are closed. And so that creates a kind of a kind of calmness here in Tuscany, only slightly more solemn than the typical calmness that one might feel in a typical bucolic setting such as Tuscany. Uh, so it's hard to kind of get a sense of how people uh, celebrate. We did uh, do a message to uh, the person that kind of hosts the place that we're staying in and ask, will we be seeing fireworks? Will there be a fireworks display? And she basically said, we don't do fireworks around here. And I said, well, you know, so... Uh, apparently, Tuscany is a bit too cool for the fireworks, but fireworks are indeed what is going on in Rome at present. And who knows, perhaps a lot of drinking and a lot of eating and a lot of carrying on. Uh, all the things that would be a heck of a lot of fun to witness, maybe even to participate. Uh, but alas, here I am in the calmness, the solemnity. Is that a word? The solemnity of bucolic Tuscany enjoying the fact that on this date, the Italians chose a republic. So there you go, a little historical observation 
on this most special of occasions here in Italy. Of course, in the United States, who cares? We have a month left to July 4th, but Italy has been, of course, a major influence on the United States, primarily through the movement of immigrants into the United States in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Much of our culture has various influential um, uh, origin points from Italy, and um, we don't have to go through that. You already know a lot about it. But still, kind of an interesting little fun fact. Today is the Republic of Italy Day. So enjoy it. Have a toast. Eat some pizza. Learn an Italian word or two. Um, just in general, just enjoy the fact that someone else is celebrating the Republic of Italy and Republican government. Bye. So here we go. We are at the Duomo and the Baptistry in Florence. Now you would think, given the historicity of the Duomo, the popularity as a tourist attraction of the Duomo, that that must be one of the most incredible churches that man has ever put together. And indeed, it is pretty astounding. It is pretty remarkable from the outside. You got some decorations, some architectural styles and colors that are very unusual for churches, especially for Christian churches. I mean, you might find something like that color-wise. There's some green and some pales and what have you. You might find that, for example, with some Orthodox churches. You might even find that with some of the Islamic mosques. But you seldom see it within Catholic churches, but this one has it, and it is quite astonishing. Inside the Duomo, you do have the inside of the dome itself, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and of course, the crack that supposedly is there and just, I mean, just the amount of artistry that that, uh, that that inside of that dome was painted with. Uh, beyond that, though, the walls are actually quite plain, quite ordinary. It kind of harkens back to a church that maybe was built in the Gothic period before the Renaissance. Um, you know, some kind of the things you might see in old monasteries that have kind of these plain uh, you know, plain concrete walls or stone walls. Uh, this one has been modified because you have some stained glass windows. So that suggests that there was some sort of, uh, kind of, uh, continuing reconstruction of the building. But beyond that, um, it's just this side of the place itself is just quite extraordinary. And then you go into the baptistry and what the Duomo lacks as far as internal uh, accoutrements, uh, the baptistry has it in spades. Again, you see that green color, you see green marble, you see sculptures, you see a litany of crosses and what looks to be Orthodox era, we're talking about maybe uh, pre-Renaissance era paintings that kind of go around the, uh, the around the top layer of the dome of the baptistry. But um, in any event, it's a pretty extraordinary sight. Uh, certainly worth seeing. Nothing particularly snarky to say because it's such an incredible place, and so was the Uffizi by that by that manner. Even though I did, I think came across a little snarky. Uh, I like the fact that they demand that people cover their legs and and what have you when they come in, you know, because you can't come in here looking, you know, looking like you're ready for the clubs and then say, think you're going to go to the baptistry. They're going to, they're going to stop you right there. You know, so I kind of like that. It kind of reminds me of a Russian Orthodox church uh, in Wiesbaden, Germany, that's uh, patrolled by two very crusty Russian ladies, uh, a couple of babushkas, if you will. Uh, But I like the sentiment. I like the idea. Dress right, you know, know where you are, know your settings, know your surroundings. So anyway, 
Uh, here we go. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this. There will be more, uh, but maybe on the next episode later. Well, you heard it for yourselves. Uh, I don't believe it. Uh, I think he, he faked the, the, the car noise and the noise in the cafes and restaurants. Uh, it, it's, it's another um, example of one of Ross Miller's scams. He's trying to pull something over on us. Um, I think we'll probably hear more from him because um, he has an awful lot to say. And um, uh, I'm just going to sit back. So if there's another episode like this, um, I'm going to do my homework and, and see if we can catch him in the act. Um, but for now, uh, let's just say that we heard from Ross Miller in Europe. This is the old school Dr. Stephen Bourgeois. Thank you. And welcome. Good morning. Good evening. Who knows what time of day it is? Uh, welcome to the old school, a podcast about, well, a bunch of stuff, education, culture, travel, music, philosophy, sports. We're going to cover the gamut uh, going forward, hither to four. Um, I just made that word up. I think it's an actual word, though, hither to four. Uh, Have you heard that word before? I've heard here to four. It means from this moment on. So hither to four is from this moment backwards. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about it either. Anyway, hello, Hair Dr. Bourgeois. Hello, Herr Miller. Um, it's good to see you. I can actually see you on your Zoom, um, and you're you're someplace. I I made an introduction to your your remote broadcast, um, showing incredulity that you are even outside of the country. <laughs> right now, it looks like you're in a Holiday Inn someplace with your camera sideways. I am not in a Holiday Inn. I am in a Tuscan. Villa. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> it is. My see the problem is is that we have seven people here. And so we needed a big house. And my wife, who seems to have a ability to ferret out such things, uh, came across this Tuscan villa, which is bigger than any house I've ever lived in before, uh, by a mile. But it's actually quite cozy, quite comfy. And the best thing about this is, right as I'm about to wind down for the night, if I'm lucky, I can catch the beginning of some daytime baseball. And so <laughs> there's actually two games going on right now. Uh, and so I'm kind of quite excited about, uh, not excited about hanging up with you, but excited about when I'm getting ready for bed, I will be getting ready to, be with, to bed with some baseball. So I am in Tuscany. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, so, so you're actually trying to listen to American baseball where you're in, what did you say, Tucson? Yes, Tucson. That's it. <laughs> Isn't that what they call it? <laughs> no one calls it that. Well, how, I, I need some type of proof because, I mean, again, I see a, is it daylight or nighttime there? It's nighttime. It's 930. Of course it is. <laughs> so you can't, like, show me outside or anything. No, everything's dark. So this is just my room. So, oh, you have uh, a room to yourself. Well, no, Jen, Jen, my my wife sleeps with me. Oh, um, okay. So she's the woman who stays in my house for free back in Texas. But, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, we we share a bedroom, and then um, as married couples are wont to do, and then I have my daughter uh, in the room next to us. 
the in-laws are at the end of the hallway. And then my wife's sister and her husband are upstairs. Wow. Uh, and so there's too many damn people in this house. And yeah. so, but we just came back from Florence for our second of two days in the city. And um, this was a lot easier. Uh, I don't know if you heard uh, the the various recordings I sent to you, but one of the one of the uh, episodes deals with coming back from Florence the first day we were there, and we were in my our car. I, we rented because it was the only car that could fit all of us, an Audi A6 hatchback. Nice, yeah. So, but the problem was it's not very conducive to stop and go traffic in a, an Italian city much less a large one. So uh, we took the train in this time uh, today, took advantage of some Italia rail. Uh, we're going to do that a couple times during this trip on Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday or what have you. We, uh, we take a train down to Rome. We turn in the Audi and then we make our way down to Rome. Uh, and then because my daughter is excited to do so, we're going down to Pompeii on our last day, our last full day in Rome. Uh, we'll leave Rome and go to Pompeii and then, um, and then that next day I fly out to Frankfurt to meet the, uh, the exchange group that you and I were once, uh, partners with and that I am doing my last one. I'm officially retired, but, um, but, uh, I'll be accompanying them on this last trip. And then I fly back to the good old US of A on the 24th. 24th. It seems like the your Italian trip has been relatively short. Didn't you just get there like yesterday? No, no, no. I've been here. We got here on the 1st of June. Okay. And then I'm leaving on the 10th of June. So nine full days here. Uh, that was preceded by four days in the French Alps. And then you got a couple weeks in Germany. So Okay. Um, well, I going to, oh. well, I listened to your one remote broadcast in the in the french alps um so did you, you want didn't, uh, you didn't hear all of them you didn't uh, listen to all of them no and I, I, I can take only so much of you at a time here <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll listen to it eventually before i post it on on worldwide air i want to make sure you keep it clean there <laughs> But, um, there is there is some there is some discussion on the one uh, where I'm in the Uffizi about a certain uh, diminutive appendage uh, oh. that has quite a controversy, and uh, many people travel many miles to see it. So, and the body that's attached to it. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's been a great trip uh, thus far. Um, have you ever been to Italy? Um, you know, I've been to Italy for like two hours with you. That's about it. <laughs> we had some. We had a horrible gnocchi meal, and then we left. We we couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah, I think we talked about that on air last time. Um, but you went. So you went to the same place? No, no, <laughs> no. You laugh. Of course not. We're Millers. We go to different parts of of, <laughs> of Italy now. Um, so where are you geographically? From I guess I could look you up. Well, geographically, I'm about an hour uh, west of Florence in a town called Lucca, actually outside the town of Lucca. And so um, it's, a, it's a beautiful area. It's a, a rural area, at least the area that I'm in outside of Lucca. 
And I think Tuscany is perhaps most known for agriculture. Uh, just had a great meal uh, yesterday at an agro-business. Uh, these are farms that have kind of branched out and in order to make more money. Uh, they've added restaurants and uh, various other things. Not necessarily a dude ranch, but kind of a dude ranch where you kind of work the fields a little bit if you want to do that for your vacation. I don't know why, but if you did, you could do that. Um so yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a lot going on right now, and uh, like I said, we're heading out to Rome in a couple of days. Uh, we were going to do Cinque Terre, which is the very famous uh, collection of five little towns along the cliffs of the is it the Adriatic Sea, I think. I'm not sure, but um, but we've decided against that. I think we're going to spend some more time in some other kind of small towns in Tuscany before we leave, um, and then go on to Rome. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the the map here. You're you're not that far from Pisa, technically. No, we're very close to Pisa, and I must say, I didn't really have an interest to go there. I mean, how interesting can a leaning building be? You know, um, but for whatever reason, my daughter has suddenly developed an interest in it, and so we may do a drive by, um, and see how that goes. But uh, but who cares about Pisa? I don't care about Pisa. I mean, that's the only thing they got going for them is the Leaning Tower. I mean, I just don't know. There's supposed to be a cathedral right next to it, which is supposed to be pretty nice, but there's a lot of damn cathedrals around here, and they're all pretty nice. And so it seems rather, uh, I don't know. We may go. We may not go. I'm not quite sure. We're playing it by ear. I bet that you'll just drive by, and your daughter will be outside, the, you know, kind of walking in front of the car while you're home. <laughs> Uh, it's just it's just a terrible thing i can't imagine but um so so you've been talking about food a lot when you were there and and tonight it seems like you're going to bed early what time is it tonight right where you are uh well it's about it's probably getting closer to 10 about 9 45 so okay so so do you go out late uh, is that the kind of crowd you're running with i mean it seems pretty early to be in well, well, here's the deal. This And this is something I found out when we were in Greece back in 2012. And that is for a Mediterranean culture, people don't really go to dinner until about nine or 10. Yeah. And so, um, but as you know, I am not one for late nights. Um, and so... It is, it is something that's been a bit of a struggle for me. I've kind of, I'm trying to learn how to sleep a little bit later so as that I can stay up a little bit later. So I think the first night we were in Tuscany, we had a great pizza meal um, that started at about 10 o'clock at night. And then um, we had one other meal that started fairly late. I think tomorrow's meal, um, which is ostensibly going to be kind of a, kind of a retirement dinner with my, my wife's family is starting I think the re- the reservation started at eight, and so we're actually going to be early, and so we're the early crowd. Wow! And so, um, but um, but yeah, I, I I don't mind the idea, you know, because one, they sleep a little bit later. Two, they have the siesta in the middle of the day, and so therefore, people are more inclined to stay up a little bit later. Hmm. That sounds good. Um, so, is the pizza actually better there than it is in Germany or in or here? I will say. Um, it's interesting you started with Germany because, as you know, you and I have had our fair share of pizzas at Italian joints in Germany. 
And I think the fact that it's ran by Italians and it, t- it typically tends to be ran by Italians. Those are not bad. It is there is something too though the idea of eating pizza in Italy. Now I was here before. I was stationed here in 1988, but it was in Sicily, and I did spend a few days in Napoli, Naples, and so I've had quote unquote authentic Italian pizza. You know, particularly when you talk about Naples, that's the kind of the epicenter mm-hmm. of pizza, and so you know that's why when you travel places around here you understand what a travesty Chicago pizza is and what an abomination it is. It, the fact that it's even called pizza and that people are allowed to call it pizza. Let's, um, let's bring that up. I, I just want to know how your damn pizza was in, in, in Italy. And you're suddenly trying to take a cheap shot at Chicago again. I <laughs> said take a cheap shot. But uh, <laughs> no, we had we had a pretty good, uh, had a pretty good array of pizzas and uh, very, very tasty, thin crust, nicely made and great ingredients. Uh, so, uh, you know, pepperoni pizza, you can't call it pepperoni pizza. It's basically like a salami pizza here. And so we had one of those, we had a sausage pizza, we had a margarita, uh, we had like a couple others. And so, so yeah, that pizza is pretty good. And, and God willing, it's not our last pizza meal before it's all said and done before we leave Italy. I'm curious though, do you recall the first time you traveled out of the country? Um, the first time, well, I think we, I don't know if this counts, but I guess when I was, I think 10 years old or 12, we went to, um, we went to Niagara Falls and it was just driving back from the East coast to to Oregon. So we just, we went there and then I think we ended up in Michigan or something. So we just got our foot in there a little bit and the story I mentioned, or I, I kind of characterize you driving your car um to going past the site of the tower of pisa that that's how <laughs> my mother got to to see uh um the niagara falls and my my dad was pretty much trying to get out of there and so she got out and screamed <laughs> <laughs> about in front of in front of the car i can't remember if i was in the car or scurrying but um I'm not sure she was too happy about that. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if we spent the night there or had a meal. Um, so I don't know if that, that counts or not. No, I went to Germany in 1988. Uh, actually, 89. Uh, when, yeah, 89. A nice time to be in, in Germany, actually, all that was going on there. Sure. Um, but I was, you know, so I just took a trip by myself totally for about three weeks and took trains around and and I got my, you know, my sea legs because I'd never done any traveling. And it, I wouldn't say it was a great trip. I spent most of my time inside of cathedrals you know, just sitting <laughs> and, and, and bookstore. That's about all I did. So what's the one cathedral that impacted you the most that first trip? Um, boy, I went to Speyer. I had a nice cathedral there, and also the cathedral at, at Borums, actually, famous okay. for Martin Luther. So um, I spent a lot of time walking in them, around them, sitting outside, sitting inside. And um, yeah, I, I decided that that, to me, is the kind of travel that I like. And, and to this day, I, I tend to be a cathedral person rather than any other types of sites. And certainly you and I have had our share of time sitting in a pew 
for about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, sometimes lucky enough to hear the organist uh, practicing or playing or whatnot. We, I recall that time we were at the cathedral in Cologne. And for uh, just, just, just the luckiest of lucks that we happen to sit down and the guy starts practicing, you know. I had that happen to me in the cathedral in uh, Reykjavik, at the Halsgrimkirke. Uh, same kind of thing, you know. You see those pipes put being, when you hear those pipes being played, it's a pretty transformative experience. You can definitely feel it in the, in the walls. Um, I think you and I have a, a similar approach to going into a cathedral. We, we walk around a little bit, get our bearings, and then we'll just sit there. Yeah, for, for for a bit and then maybe walk around and leave so it's not a long visit but the sitting quietly is is you know i think the usually the best the best moment um in, in the cathedral um sometimes they have tours going on and I, I could never imagine a cathedral tour i mean we, we've had to sit through some of them with our sure. and, you know I, I maybe i bore easily you know i'd, I'd rather just experience it and and then leave well, it's it's not so much I think about being bored easily, but I think the 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 problem with the tours, as great as they are, can be, and as and as informative as the guides are, because we've had good tour guides in the past. But I think it's a little bit like having someone read a book for you, and then tell you about it, you know. And I think you know, as far as like being able to take stuff in yourself to look at stained glass windows, to look at art, you know, and yes, you could get the nuts and bolts of the particulars about it, but it doesn't really allow you to experience it yourself. You're kind of doing it through this kind of halfway house sort of approach, this kind of middleman approach. And for me, that's what's difficult about doing that, you know? So again, there's been times when I have found tours to be quite uh, uh, helpful. For example, when we're in Greece, um, you know, we, we, we had a tour guide, uh, a private tour guide throughout parts of Athens and that can be great. Uh, but other times it can be a bit intrusive to the actual reason why you would go into a cathedral. So what did you do this morning today? What was your day like? Well, today was mostly, like I said, in Florence, the last time we were at, um, the last time we were in Florence, we had gone to the Uffizi. Uh, and we went to the uh, Mercado Centrale, um, and those are great places. Uh, the Uffizi, of course, you know, is is known uh, the world over uh, for its artwork. Today, we get there uh, just before lunch, and we had kind of a, a small lunch, and then we made our way to the Duomo, which is the main cathedral in Florence, or Firenze, as is called in Italian, and then. Um, we hung out for a couple of hours and then we checked out the academy, uh, where the, uh, academia, where the, uh, real statue of David, uh, can be found. We, the Uffizi has a fake statue of David, uh, kind of a mock-up. And then when you go to the academia, you see the actual one. And it's just one of those things, you know, it's like the first time you see the Parthenon or it's like the first time you see anything of that kind of reputation it's a bit it's a bit of a strange experience so so what was um without talking about genitalia or anything like <laughs> that, what, what what surprised you about it and try and you know, try to keep it clean here here miller well i mean i think 
I think I knew it was tall. I guess I, I think in, in the beginning I must have thought it was just, it was just a statue of David in you know in real in real life terms. So maybe five foot eight, six foot, I don't know, whatever it was. So I, but you go there and you realize that the thing is like 10 feet tall. And so I think the biggest thing was how much, how much bigger it was compared to what, when I first came to know about the statue of David, um, what my perception was, was that it was simply a life-size sculpture of David. And, but rather it is this, and it's gorgeous. I mean, you sit there, you look at that thing, you look at the, you, you look, you look at the artistry and the craftsmanship that it takes to kind of, to, to sculpt that body. And you sit there and you're thinking to yourself, holy, holy crap, this is incredible. This is amazing to see this, the artistry involved in it. And it gives you an idea about the whole idea behind the Renaissance. The idea behind the Renaissance was to try to recreate and perfect the form of the body through art, through sculpture, through, you know, whatever medium you care to discuss it in. And I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I walked away from uh, after visiting that statue. Wow. Well, I've never been there or seen that that type of a work with that type of a reputation. Was Were you able to look at it? I, I mean, without crowds around, did you actually have a moment where you could walk up there unimpeded? You, I could walk up unpeated, but uh, there were crowds, yeah. and um, you know all of this is all the talk, and you know maybe those who are listening uh, can can uh, can attest to this. But according to all the talk, there's the, you know this summer is likely going to be one of the biggest travel summers in recent memory, and um, you know. From the experiences that we had the first day in Florence with all of the driving, which uh, that's the that's probably the biggest story uh, that comes out of that first day, uh, to you know everything that we've seen since then. I mean, there's a crapload of people that are here, you know, and they come from all over. So uh, I'm expecting Rome to be the same, and I think when I get to Germany, it's going to be a bit of a relaxer because even though that you know there's parts of the area that we go to in Germany that is would be considered touristy, most of it is not. Right. And so it's it's going to be my it's going to be my chance to kind of experience quote unquote a real kind of lifestyle. I will say here in Tuscany, we are out of the major kind of hotbeds of tourism, and so therefore it kind of feels a little bit more like a kind of a typical life but um outside of that so you texted me that the driving i think you used the word gefährlich uh german word for dangerous um did you get into that in your you know, when you made those uh, monologues or, or can you share how you know with us now about you know what why was it dangerous driving around there well yeah i did get into it in that uh and in, in that observation that's going to be attached to this, but I just will say that, you know, so it's, it's kind of a hockey term that I, that I use and I refer to in the, in the, uh, in the video in the audio clip, but I mean, you really do have to keep your head on a swivel. I mean, you've got anything and everything around you uh, from cars to bicycles, to scooters, to pedestrians, to tour buses, to, I mean, you name it. And so, uh, and it's not, 
designed for big cars. And the fact that I have an Audi A6 hatchback, basically, uh, does not does not jive well with everybody else. I mean, everybody else is basically driving, you know, the old version of the of the Mini Cooper, that that size of a car. And, you know, Fiat's have kind of a nice car that's about that size. So uh, really, it, it just is not meant for, you know, the kind of car that I'm currently driving. So the fact that I was able to kind of navigate those streets, I mean, there, there's times where the lanes will disappear altogether and you basically have a free for all <laughs> trying to jockey for a position one side to another. And so when you've got like a little Fiat, well, you, you know, you could do that fairly quickly and fairly easily, more or less. But then when you're driving, basically, I'm driving a tank, you know, <laughs> driving through, you know, it's it's a whole different ballgame altogether. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, and I, as, again, as I said in the, in the audio thing, I mean, my first experience with Italian driving is I wanted no part of it. But I must tell you, it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure I would enjoy it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Um, you would have hated it. Yeah, I'd probably bring earplugs and blindfolds and play <laughs> music in, into the earphones and um, get you basically set up for how they do when the uh, when they have a um, when they have a uh, like a uh, um, hell. What do they call those uh, um, those dental procedures where you have to kind of uh, um, root canal? Oh yeah, they put, put your one. Yeah, you go to one of those fancy clinics, and they'll give you some Bose headphones. You can listen to jazz. You can get a, you can get eye covering, the whole nine yards. Uh, I, I insist on being knocked out entirely for, <laughs> for for anything, even a teeth cleaning. Quite honestly, yeah. come on, you, th you think I'm joking? <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your next trip that you're going to be taking outside the country? Do you have anything in the works? I'm not. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, what? No, I'm. I'm flying to Oregon in in about a month, um, which is going to be really fun. I haven't been there in about four and a half years. That's like another country. Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm going to the Portland airport. I bet the the town is still burning. <laughs> <It's> still, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it depends on what news you watch, but on some networks you see they show Portland. They just show it on fire or something. <laughs> so, but no, that that'll be that's like you know we're we're taking a a trip our you know my my wife and i are going to mexico to a resort in cancun i believe in, in a in a couple weeks three weeks um so i guess i mean that to me that's an, we're just going to the resort um but um no i don't have any any major major plans i, I think you and i need to talk about it at some point and uh, decide what what would what would get be exciting and new because we we've definitely done a lot of germany and a lot of the the same things last summer will be hard to top actually when we went to switzerland that was an incredible experience and we, we do have kind of slated sometime hopefully soon a trip to baltimore uh my hometown uh because you were gracious enough you and your uh uh and your sainted father uh hosted me uh, in Eugene, Oregon, which was an incredible experience and a drive up the coast. And so hopefully we'll get a chance to go to my hometown uh, soon. Uh, but, you know, I 
you know, I don't know how much we've talked about the idea of international travel, uh, you know, on the podcast. I know it's come up, but, you know, I, I basically quote ad nauseum two guys. One is Rick Steves, who says that, um, that everybody, every American should have a passport and that the biggest thing that you get from travel is a broader perspective. And that broader perspective kind of comes hand in hand with a with a poem that Kipling wrote where he talked about, you know, what do they know of England who only England knows? And so the notion that that, you know, you could say that, you know, your country, uh, but I think there's something to be gained from understanding it from different points of view. But simply understanding different people's points of view, I think, is something that's actually quite a kind of a cool part about travel and a cool part about talking to people. And that's one of the things that I get to do, you know, and I, I, I've spent the last six months learning Italian. Uh, I've had an Italian teacher. Really? And uh, Yeah. And so, um, and so one of the cool things is being able to talk to people. And I just think it's an invaluable experience. And I hope something that my daughter's getting out of this, but um, uh, I'm a big believer in it. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited to join you when you were doing the Germany exchange program and why I continued it after you decided to hang it up. Um, I, th- I think it's that important. Well, that's quite a commitment. I, I, I knew you, you you took some language lessons. Um, you're taking Spanish and German, and now Italian. You're probably learning to uh, speak Greek, I bet. I bet you've done that already. <laughs> well, I will say that I will probably back off on Italian after this. I mean, I, but I will say I kind of I've come to love the language. It's a fun language to try to speak. It's a fun language to kind of hear yourself in because you know in your own language you have this you have your own cadence you have your own way of speaking <laughs> you have your own way of kind of presenting yourself and when you do so in another language it, it in a lot of ways it can change the perception of you um <laughs> yeah, funny. You know, yeah. Well, yeah it is i mean can you speak to that at all i mean just with your experience in german well I'm, when i speak german i'm really aggressive and, <laughs> and uh mean-spirited i don't know no i no, you're no i think my for uh, but it, it is different you kind of eventually you convince yourself then you forget about it that you do have a different character almost but i i'm dying to hear you speak italian you know more than just the name of a town <laughs> well it's it's uh it's it's been it's been fun i mean certainly there are times and and this is the hardest thing about italian at least for me it's been uh, is the idea of, of understanding other people speaking to you because they're talking pretty fast and Italian speakers can't speak awfully fast. And so it's one of those things where, I mean, that's the biggest challenge. Uh, but it's, it, it's exciting to sit there and say, um, you know, say, say something in Italian to be understood, to be able to kind of answer back with a follow, you know, with their follow up question. And so, um, yeah, I think when I get back though, when I get back to the states, it's gonna I'm, I'm gonna stick to German and Spanish, um, and I do speak French a little bit with my wife, you know, because she used to teach it, and of course I got a chance to use it a little bit when we were in Chamonix in the French Alps. Uh, but I mean, it sounds pretentious talking about all these places I've been to of late. Yeah, it does. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, do you do you ever um, insult the Italians by jumping into Spanish in the middle of? your conversation 
No, because I, I think you remember when we had that horrible Yonkey meal in Kivana. Uh, Kivana, yeah. right? Um, I was trying to expl- I was trying to ask him a question, and I didn't know the word in Italian, so I started using Spanish, and he just looked at me like <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. That's why we got the bad meal because you were you were throwing in <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> Guy waiter goes back to the kitchen. It's son of a bitch. He's talking <laughs> Spanish to me. <laughs> the romance language they're all the same they're all the same it's just it's just it's just, yeah it's just one thing or another it's all the same though mm-hmm. but um i tell you what that is one of the things that have made italian a little bit easier is that there are so many kind of carryovers from spanish so that does help well we may have to do this again here miller when you're in in germany uh, if not sooner, you know, get it. I'm any, you know, I, I think having you abroad, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, that you're <laughs> just picturing you out there. You know, we, we may have to just send you a driving across the United States and uh, talking to you in the car or something it might, might be a what? thing, you know. It could be. I mean, right. I think right now, one of the kind of the side things that I'm getting involved in is that I have a copy of um, a farewell to arms uh, because I'm in Italy. And of course, for, for those uh, who don't know, that's Hemingway's book about his adventures um, uh, during World War One, uh, where he falls in love with a nurse. Uh, he was where he was fighting with the Italians at the time. Um, and so so that's kind of fun. Listen to him, you know, write about it and write about the different parts of Italy and then being near or at some of the different areas where he was is kind of a fun element to it. And it's something I always have as a kind of an accompaniment to travel is I usually read first before the trip. You know, when I went to Iceland, you know, I read the sagas, the Icelandic Nordic sagas which is not easy reading. It's one of the oldest pieces of literature, but it gives you a pretty good understanding about how Iceland is the way it is. And, you know, with uh, with Italy, I read a little bit of Giuseppe Garibaldi's uh, biography, who is the kind of the national hero that united Italy in the 1800s. And now I'm reading Hemingway. And so it's a, it's a fun way to kind of experience a culture as you're doing it. You know, it's to kind of see it on kind of two different levels on a literary standpoint, but then also, you know, out and about. Well, this will all be in your, your autobiography, Herr Miller, all these places <laughs> you, you've been, places you plan to go still. Um, oh, the places you'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I, I don't. I know about one line from that. I usually <laughs> play it at graduations, and I, start, I think, okay, uh, let's you know, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem is, is that you and I have such a shared history. I mean, we, we probably think a lot of the same things. Although, so apparently, outside of Luca, there's a viaduct. And the first thing I thought of when I saw the viaduct is the old Marx Brother line: "Viaduct, why not a chicken?" And it goes, I don't know. I'm new here myself, you know, so oh my you see these. <laughs> well, I thought you'd take it the other way and say, my name is Luca. <laughs> She's a mighty. Uh, All right. Well, uh, we've beaten this horse to death. And so, but um, yeah, I, th- I think our next episode could be from Germany. Um, and hopefully it should be a fun time had by all. 
All right. Um, well, on that happy note, I'm going to hit stop recording. And I guess you can say, what is it called? Arrivederci? Or is that hello? Arrivederci. Yeah. Prossimo. Until next time. So, oh. okay. yeah. Whatever he said. Uh, danke, Herr Miller. Bitte.